And so as always, we, before we begin to submerge into the depths of our inheritance, that is in Jesus Christ. The unchanging epigraph of the study of this inheritance is the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So that we ask the participants of the body of Christ would share together with Christ all the things that are to be fulfilled that are written about him in scripture, we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the word of God and with the Holy Spirit revealing the truth in our heart, looking at what we need to do from our side to receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so that we can put on the new way of life. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. I will remind us that this is the primary purpose of every individual that comes into the family of God. And if this calling is in some way replaced with anything else, evangelism, good work, it's not important what it may be. They are already uh, marching in the opposite direction from heaven, thinking or trusting that they are going to heaven because our calling is not to be a pastor, is not to be an apostle, is not to be something, but to bear fruit. A person that does not bear fruit, fruits of the Spirit, even if he has a specific rank, the Antichrist also had a great rank in heaven, but because he did not bear fruit, he gathered into his treasury what belonged to God. It is written, he with his unfaithful trade had gathered much to himself, which means that he had ascribed to himself the revelations of God, which he received from the Holy Spirit. And he spoke to the angels that this was his own personal revelations. And for a specific amount of time, they believed that God was before them. He is the real God. And they easily followed after him with all of their ranks, with all of their delegation, with all of their gifts, and they were all also thrown from heaven. And so for the multitude of Christians that do the same thing, they will be going to hell as well, thinking they're going to heaven because they do not have the calling, they do not have the purpose. They think that your calling is a specific nature of service. Yes, we can say that it exists, but it will only be a calling when this apostle or when this pastor will bear fruits of the Spirit, because the essence of a calling of any kind is not to be a pastor, but to bear fruit to God. And when we bear fruit to God, we become a light to the world. And in order to bear fruit, the seed needs to first die. You need to put off your former way. You need to sow yourself into the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in this way, you need to become free of the old person that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed by the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which is created according to God, into righteousness and holiness. Not fulfilling this commanding order, we have been studying three vital, charging, and fundamental acts 
and these are to put off, be renewed, and put on. We've noted that it is specifically your decision regarding these three destiny-affecting acts, to put off, be renewed, and put on, that will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. More specifically, will the realization of our salvation come to pass that is given to us in the format of a guarantee, or will we lose it, which will then result in our names being forever blotted out of the book of life? although they may have been written there at one time. In a specific format, we've already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. In other words, you need to consider yourself dead to sin, living for God, and here it is written that we need to begin to proclaim who we are in Jesus Christ, who we are in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, and who we are to him. That we, in essence, already are carriers of the heavenly body. And we need to, by faith, proclaim these things, not the fact that we've died to sin. If we died to sin, then we need to proclaim that we now live for God. We live in the life of resurrection, and it's not important that we may, we sense this in our feelings, our emotions, because these, this is information. God will base everything from the information that we have and what that information that's in our heart, because the scriptures say, from your words, from your confessions, you will be condemned or you will be justified. And these are the confessions that are made from the information that's in our heart. If it's not in our heart, we will be confessing idle words. Relevant to this, we already looked at a series of parables and events. We became familiar with the condition that we need to fulfill in order to, by the name of God El Elyon, or God Most High, destroy the stronghold of death in our body in the form of this reigning sin identified as the old person with his deeds so that we forever thrust him out from our body into hell with noise and afterwards erect the kingdom of heaven in the form of the stronghold of life in the place of the stronghold of death within our body and stop to study the next condition. This condition consists in the 18th Psalm of David where the Holy Spirit, with the right that he alone has, reveals the conditions based upon which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon or God Most High. And this condition is that in the circumstances of our hardship in life, when we are putting off the old man, we can call upon the Most High as to our God and confess the faith of our hearts stating who God is to us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. We've noted that this event is one of the most powerful and voluminous symbols where we see the collaboration of our renewed mind in the form of King David and the name of God Most High, and also the confrontation of the renewed mind with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul, together with reigning sin in the form of our old person with his deeds. Three kings within one body, and they all resist one the other, and they battle for our body because the spirit is already born there cannot be any battle there there cannot be a devil there it's 
Christ said, if God and the devil will be in one place, this kingdom will not stand. The Jews said, he drives out the demon with the power of a demon, but Jesus said, how can this be if I'm actually doing this? By what, what powers are you driving them out? And if a kingdom is divided amongst itself, how can this uh, kingdom stand? And so when false charismatic leaders began to rebuke demons out of men, men that do not have demons but have the works of the flesh that need to be put to death, put to death these uh, desires, then they, instead of driving out the demon, they actually open access and demons enter in and create an, an atmosphere of euphoria, of all kinds of false miracles and signs. They experience in their emotions the presence supernatural power. And in their ignorance and their foolishness, being deceived and blind, they perceive this to be the Holy Spirit and they look at us uh, downward thinking that we are somehow in some kind of mausoleum at the same time when they are already here on earth in hell. Of course, they don't know this yet. When they finally go and pass across the other side of the river, they'll be able to see it there. By the means of the confessions of the faith of our hearts, stating who God is to us in Christ Jesus and what God has done in Christ Jesus, God receives the required basis or the required grounds to join the battle for our earthly bodies in order to shame the old person by the power of his redemption and forever cast him out into hell with noise. I want to know a specific detail that we need to pay attention to. You see here, you see here a specific uh, result that as amongst the people, uh, illnesses are a result of sin. And any illness is a result of sin. And now the question, is always an illness a result of sin? No, not always. The disciples had come to Christ and asked who was it who sinned, him or his parents, that he's blind. It's not him or his parents, but so the works of God can be revealed. The Holy Spirit revealed to me, I prayed, Lord, what is this? Why is it your church, when we have received now this great promise and have bound sin, have bound this old person, now we can't have, illness cannot now be a result of sin, so what is this? And I will tell you, there's a difference between illnesses that are a result of sin and illnesses where we suffer with Christ in his death. Because to be in his death is not a distractive-like event. This is an emotional experience as well. Of course, we will not overcome or be able to experience such a pain that Christ did, but we need to understand that the illness is not a result of sin. This illness is to be in the likeness of his death, to partake in his death so we could partake in his resurrection. The very same pain, the very same illness, but it has different uh, purposes, different uh, springs. It is, we are grateful that God has allowed us to understand that 
We need to not rebel, not become angry, not to shout to God, because at the time when a person suffers from sin, in his spirit there's no peace. But if you suffer, but in your spirit there's peace, then this is a very different form of suffering, a very different form of illness, for which you need to thank God. Paul says, I pretty much am fulfilling the insufficiency of suffering that's in the body of Christ. How is this? That he, he was ill. And it was not a result of his sins. This illness that he had was his dedication, his commitment to God. The angels in heaven, they rejoice. Yes, it hurts. It, for Christ, it was a lot worse. You need to stop punishing yourself, saying, Lord, what is it with me? Why am I ill? Why can I not be free from this? Continue to proclaim and see yourself healed in Jesus Christ because in my heart and in your heart we have a foundation laid Christ has, uh, God has healed us in Jesus Christ and I thank God for this healing and I proclaim this healing because in my spirit it is there and I have the hope and I just wait until I will fill the insufficiency of 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 suffering that's in the in the body. Paul says it's not just for me, but for the entire body. And so sometimes apostles suffer more than anyone else. They are satisfying that insufficiency of amount of suffering that's in the body itself. When we're given the opportunity, the privilege, you need to rejoice. My spirit is free. My joy is complete. In my spirit, there's peace with God, but in my body, I experience specific things until a specific time. I don't pay attention to them because I live not uh, from information that my feelings may uh, try to uh, convince me are what's going on, but what the information is that God has given to me is what I base everything from. And so in character, the prayer psalm of David contains three parts where we see an example of the character of legitimate prayer. <clears throat> the first part identifies the condition or state of David's heart as a warrior in prayer. The condition of his heart was grounds for the legitimate status of his prayer. <clears throat> and in all of his psalms, he talks about great sufferings that he, that are in him and that he is, that, that, he, that he is in. The wealthiest man in the world, one that is close to God, speaks about sufferings that no one sees and no one knows about. But he says that he is within that suffering. He is casting off this old person from himself. He is battling with his own soul and battling with his own reigning sin in his body in the form of Hagar. The second part reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer, which gave God the basis to deliver David from the hand of all of his enemies. The third part describes the prayer battle itself, which surpasses the comprehension of the human mind. And the reason for that is because it is presented in an epic genre. In a specific format, we've already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer contained in the eight names of God Most High. Getting to know and confessing the power contained in the heart of David in the eight following names of God allowed David 
to love and call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, to be saved from his enemies. To call upon God means to be silent before him and listen to what he will say. To call upon him doesn't mean to speak to God, but to wait wait for God and listen to what he says. I stand my... Uh, I stood on the rampart, he says, to see what, what to see what he will say to me, is what the uh, apostle had said. And Christ said, or the Lord says that if it tarries, if it, if if the revelation that I've given you tarries, or it's prolonged in some way, wait for it. Even if it is, wait for it. It will come. If it is there, then you can wait. If And a person says, well, how long will I be waiting? You need to wait as long as you need to wait. But if it isn't there, of course, there's nothing to wait for. And so blessed is God and blessed are we that we have and that you're able to wait for this hope and overcome in this perseverance of Christ. And for God, discovering this truth, revealing the power of his names in the heart of David, provided God proper grounds to use his abilities that consist in these eight names to battle against the enemies of David. And so confessing the faith of the heart allows you to utilize his abilities, allow, uh, allows him to utilize his abilities that consist in his eight names in battle against the enemies of David. And we will list these and we will read this place of scripture there, one and the other, and they are in a very surprising balance uh, with each other. There can't be more of one and less of the other. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Eight names of God. The Lord is my strength, the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my fortress, the Lord is my deliverer, the Lord is my strength, in whom I will trust, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is the horn of my salvation, the Lord is my stronghold. In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we already looked at our inherited lot in the power of two names of God, strength and rock and stop to look at the lot contained in the power of the name of God, Fortress. We note that this nature of prayer where David confesses his lot in the eight existing names of God Most High is the strategic teaching that is purposed to be the calling and mantle of a king, a priest, and a prophet anointed to rule over their earthly body. These are those, again, priests that are priests in their spirit and prophets that are to rule over their body, the kings that are to rule over their body. A prophet is the Urim that reveals the truth in the heart. He has this Urim that reveals the truth in his heart. And if a person has not accepted the given to him anointing to rule over his calling in the form of his earthly body, in the status of a king, a priest, and a prophet, again in the status of a king, priest, and prophet, then his revelation purpose for worshiping God in prayer will not be beneficial to him. Therefore, the quality in Lexus is in identifying the name of God fortress that 
has become the subject of our study is not able to be found in any existing dictionaries of the world. In Hebrew, the name of God, fortress, means dwelling place of God. And so if we're the dwelling place of God, if we're God's home, then the fortress of God is within us. And this co- there's a covenant co- uh, that is existing here, and this covenant is, is within us. The dwelling place of God, God's home, the sanctuary of God, the unapproachable light in which the, go- uh, the Lord or God abides, the place where a person gets to know God, the opportunity to be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven during the service of the word of God, because the word is the seed out of the mouth of the person that is a father from God, the success of God, the joy of God, the hope of God, and the trust of God. Studying the consistency of the lot that is contained in the name of God fortress, we need to not forget one indisputable thing, and that is that God can be our fortress only upon the condition that our heart is his fortress. If our heart is not a fortress for God, God cannot be our fortress. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. There are many people like that. I've heard prayers, Lord, I dedicate my wife, my children, my business, my home to you. That's how one gentleman prayed. And I came up to him after the service and told him, you know, that God doesn't need your wife or your business or your children. And he says, how? I said, you need, he needs your heart. Why are you hiding the heart? He says, son, give me your heart. But you say, I give you my wife. It's not fair. What Are you trying to trade your heart for other things that, that are in your, that are, your heart can't replace, your, your wife can't replace your heart, your business can't replace your heart. A person always hides from God that what God wants and gives to him Uh, what God is not asking for. God does not demand evangelism. He doesn't demand uh, good work that comes from the flesh. The works of God, good work, are, are the works of God, and that is to believe in the one whom he has sent. But they send themselves. Wherever I go, that's, what I, that's where I go. What I want to do, I do. And the Lord responded to him and said, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head and so I will go. And he says, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Your heart is not a place of my peace. It is not a place for, it is not my fortress. You trust more upon uh, prophecies than you do the word of God, and you neglect the word of God. All these prophecies, all these spiritual uh, events or signs, they are uh, contrary to the truth. You don't uh, bear... Uh, fruits to God and give to him but you're trying to convince God to give you what uh, you want in different way, in a different way or different method then he said to another follow me but he said Lord let me first go and bury my father Jesus said to him let the dead bury their own dead but you go and preach the kingdom of God and another also said Lord I will follow you But, Lord, let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 
9:57 through 62. According to the words of Jesus, in order to become <clears throat> a partaker of the inherited lot contained in the name of God fortress, <clears throat> first we need to satisfy three conditions. Our heart is called to become a fortress for Jesus in which Jesus would be able to lay his head, and for this to happen, it is necessary for our heart not to have holes for foxes or nests for birds. Your prophets are like foxes to the ruin, it says in the Bible. Second, it is necessary to allow the dead to bury their own dead. These represent the category of parents that, being Christian people, have rejected the offer to them truth in the form of the preached word spoken by God's delegated ones and refused to pay the price to be the student of Jesus. They go to those churches where you don't need to be a student, where everyone has their own individual opinion or their mind, where they can have their own voice, that they can vote for, they can elect uh, certain individuals where a pastor is just a... someone that they can control. By following Jesus into the fortress of his heavenly Father, it is necessary not to look back or focus your eyes or your attention upon your nation, the house of your father, or upon the corrupt desires that we not be like the wife of Lot. A dead person cannot speak or say, Lord, I will go and bid farewell to those that are my relatives. He cannot bid them farewell because he now has chosen Christ. If he is going to go back, then he does not want to acknowledge the fact that he died for Christ. He says, do not look back. Only look ahead so that that be your only focus. Your thoughts need to be only about the mountains. Control where your thoughts are. As soon as they begin to sway away or are carried away, uh, you say, Lord, no, you live and you live within me. I will look where you want me to control your thoughts and push away any thoughts that come to you that are contrary to the thoughts that God wants you to have. Therefore, it is necessary for us to study and determine in what way and upon what conditions we're able to enter into the presence of God so that we <clears throat> uh, can be his fortress and he can be our fortress. We need to conclude in what way and upon what conditions we are able to enter into the presence of God so that he can become our fortress where we would be able to get to know him and we would be able to be fertilized with the seeds of the promise in our spirit in the soil of the good heart so that we can grow from it the tree of life if the heart is not good if it is not cleansed from dead works then by listening or receiving the seed of the kingdom of heaven, the seed will not be able to end up in your heart because your heart is not ready to receive. Your soil is not ready to receive the seed. It, it enters the head and a person begins to become arrogant because knowledge only makes you arrogant if it doesn't go into your heart. The verb to approach God as to our fortress contains the opportunity, giving the person the ability to be fertilized with the seeds of the promise that belong to the door of his hope and the fruit of which God receives proper grounds to join the battle for our earthly bodies in order to destroy the stronghold of death within our body. The fruit is when we confess the faith of our heart. This allows God to then join the battle and defend our earthly body and destroy the stronghold of death within our body and with noise forever thrust him out from our body, this old person whose stronghold and armor is the stronghold of death upon which he relies and trusts. 
he sees sin that reigns within the body of a person and the sin gives uh, and, and the law gives power to sin that's in there and he relies upon that but what do we do with the stronger one when we die together with Christ we as the stronger one we become we are the stronger one we take then armor from the stronghold of death and we bind him so that we can forever thrust him out from our body with noise this old person and as I've said that he relies and trusts upon the stronghold of death and the stronghold of death we turn against him that he trusts in as David took the sword of Goliath and and chopped his uh, Goliath's head off with his own sword. The word to run to God means to approach the altar, to draw near to God, enter into the sanctuary of God, get closer to God, run to God's help, find yourself in the fortress of God, be able to be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven, and grow fruit of the Spirit. Due to such a list of definitions, the lot and name of God fortress contains various meanings and independence of the circumstances and time has multiple meanings and is multi-angled. First, the name of God as fortress abiding within our heart is called to be the legitimate level of a relationship with God where a person receives the ability to get to know God and God receives the proper basis or grounds to get to know a man. <clears throat> Second, the name of God as fortress abiding within our heart is called to provide us the ability to receive the seed of promise that God has ordained from time of old and that we, due to specific reasons, have not yet been able to receive because due to our spiritual growth in our new person, the reproductive function has not yet been formed, giving us the ability to be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven. Third, the name of God fortress abiding within our heart is called to incorporate the participation and power of God into all aspects of our life to give us the opportunity and the ability to approach God and by doing so be fertilized with the seeds of the truth. Therefore, every time when God by the means of the Holy Spirit allows a person to run to or to approach him, then in result of such closeness or contact, we will always have a corresponding or suitable fruit in the aspect in which we were allowed to approach or to run to God. Therefore, it is us in every individual aspect of our essence that are responsible to form such an atmosphere within our heart that would be able to become a fortress for God in order to provide God legitimate grounds to be our fortress. And such an atmosphere is called to be the good soil of our heart capable of receiving the seed of the preached to us word of God so that in the name of God deliver we can then grow the fruit that is according to the nature of seed we have received. And independence of our choice and following that choice decisions and actions that will determine if God will become our fortress or the opposite will become our revenger and our hater. And for this purpose, the purpose of studying our lot in the listed names of God, which are called to be the lot of our salvation, we have come to the necessity to look at a series of questions. First, what characteristics and criteria identify our inherited lot in the name of God Fortress? 
What purpose when it comes to achieving our salvation is our inherited lot in the name of God fortress called to fulfill? What price do we need to pay in order to provide God the ability to be our fortress? And by what results do we determine that God truly is our fortress in our fulfilling our calling? And that calling is adopting our body by the redemption of Christ. In a specific format, we've studied the essence of the first three questions and stopped to look at question four. But what results do we determine that God truly is our fortress? In achieving our calling consisted of adopting our body by the redemption of Christ in order to make us carriers of the heavenly body. In the previous service, we in a specific format already looked at seven signs by which we can judge that our heart is a fortress for God in achieving our calling consisting of adopting our body by the redemption of Christ. This is our ability to receive Christ into our heart. <coughs> And as it is written, and the nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. And so the governor will come from their midst, then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me, this one, this governor that shall come from their midst, for who is this who pledges his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Jeremiah 30, 21 through 22. If we receive this governor, then by him we are able to approach God, and he then becomes our God, and we are his nation. Considering that a governor is on the throne, and he, going away, had left those that will represent him, as the Lord has sent me, the Father has sent me, I send you, the sins that you forgive will be, uh, will be forgiven and the sins that you retain will be retained. The same mandate, the same responsibility, these are the apostles of Christ. And it is not that they're lower in rank, these are them. That he gave them this mandate, this delegation, and it is by them that if we acknowledge them, that God then becomes our God and we become his nation. And God then draws this governor from our midst. Therefore, if the seventh sign contained the element of Christ abiding within our heart, then the eighth sign by which we need to judge that God becomes our fortress is the element of us abiding in Christ. Until this time, we have been studying Christ in us, and now we will study us in Christ. Therefore, without our participation and consent, where we are called to fulfill specific demands, we will not be able to receive Christ into our heart or be placed into Christ where God becomes our fortress. First component of abiding in Christ in which God becomes our fortress is to determine and identify within yourself the signs of a new creation. If we have the signs of the new creation, then you are in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 A person needs to identify by these signs. What are these signs? If I just say these words, they're idle words. They're not within my heart. How am I a new creation? How can I examine myself? Uh, of the, uh, if I have the presence or existence of these signs that I'm a new creation and that means 
We being placed into Christ, we will obtain the ability to continuously renew ourselves and perfect ourselves in our spirit upon the condition that we will look at the invisible instead of the visible, because the visible is temporary and the invisible is, is eternal. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians 4, 16, 18, if we're not paying attention to what's happening in our emotions, our body, but are looking at the information that we have received, and we look at this information that we have received, because in our body it's not yet represented, but we're looking upon it. It is within our heart, it is present within our heart, and we're looking upon it. And God then has the proper grounds to do this work. Again, if we look at the unseen or the invisible, this is the eternal glory of God. He will transform our body into an immortal body upon the condition that our eyes will be looking upon uh, upon this glory who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the latter, because the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. If we are condemning ourselves, we don't condemn ourselves as monks do in punishing ourselves uh, endlessly, but in order to to, uh, become justified in Christ. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 18. Mirror is the word of God. Unveiled face are the, do- are the doors of an open and prepared heart for listening and looking at the word of God. In order to see in a mirror of the preached word your image and be transformed into this image, it is necessary to have a heart that is cleansed from dead works in which is imprinted the precious promises of the shining undimming glory. In the book of Job, God reveals in the metaphor the meaning of the glory of the doors of his face, the chosen by him remnant in the form of the Leviathan. He, he boasted about the door of the face of his beloved one. Who can open the doors of his face, which his terrible teeth are all around? His rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another, they stick together and cannot be parted. His sneezing flash forth light and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Job 41, 14 through 18. He describes the face of his beloved one. This is the glory that is in her. And this glory is so concealed that no one can see except us ourselves can see it. When it speaks of sneezing, from which there is a flash of the light of life, we see the confession of the promises. Sneezing, when we sneeze, uh, there are flashes of light. Sneezing is the uh, confessions of the faith, uh, faith of the heart. 
and these confessions of the promises about the erection of the stronghold of, of resurrection within our body that is written upon the tablets of our heart in the form of the faith of God. And when we confess, this is this metaphor of sneezing. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And when he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed, sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. You see here, sneezing, a symbol of resurrection. He called forth resurrection. He sneezed and resurrected, sneezed seven times, a number of, of fullness or perfection. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in, came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Second Kings 4, 32 through 37. The son of the Shunammite woman is the promise that is at the door of our hope. Before you receive him resurrected, you need to first lose him in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't receive anything in resurrection if you don't first lose it in the death of the Lord Jesus. You don't place him upon the altar. If when we hear the requirements necessary for adopting our body by the redemption of Christ, we are joyfully prepared to fulfill them, then this means that the eyes of our heart are opened and we can see God when we listen to the word. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. Pure in heart, a heart that is pure, then it is able to hear, and these words, they, they begin to see God. Therefore, a sign of, the, of new creation in Jesus Christ is a pure heart, containing the precious promises of God in adopting our body by the redemption of Christ, that God has, as the reader, will be able to easily read in the right time and fulfill. He's, these are the signs of a new creation. If you have this promise, then you have, then you are a new creation, and then God is your fortress, and you are His fortress. Second component of abiding in Christ, in which God becomes our fortress, <clears throat> is to be determined by the identification of the characteristics of peace with God within ourselves. <clears throat> That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not inputting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the words of reconciliation. <clears throat> Here we're not talking about the whole world or a whole world of people. <clears throat> Oftentimes you'll see the word reconciling the world to himself a world of these people, world of people, uh, these people, uh, you use the word world uh, in different senses, as it were. That God doesn't input their trespasses to them and, and reconciles. We need to understand that God does not input to us our trespasses and reconciles us with himself upon the condition when we collaborate with the truth of the elementary teaching of Christ and with the Holy Spirit revealing the truth within our heart, we have placed ourselves into Christ. 
If a person is resistant to the demands of the three indisputable conditions, cleansing your conscience from dead works, imprinting the truth of the elementary teaching of Christ upon your heart, and receiving the Holy Spirit into your heart as the Lord and your Master of life, then this person will never be able to be placed into Jesus Christ again if he is resistant. And furthermore, this person will not be able to have true peace with God because God does not input iniquity our iniquity or our trespasses upon the condition that we, by the means of fulfilling the placed by God requirements, have allowed him to place us into Christ. Justification that is received by us freely by grace at the moment of our repentance in the format of guarantee will never change into something that is our own possession if we will not turn the guarantee of our justification so that it can profit, so that we can receive it in our own or as our own possession as a profit of the fruits of justification so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 5.21. So that justification received by us would be established, it would reign in our heart by righteousness, it is necessary to die for your nation, for the house of your father, and for the corrupt desires of your soul, which we cloak into repulsive good work that comes from our flesh. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his th- through his uh, to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4:13. Third component of abiding in Christ, in which God becomes our fortress, is the is to be determined by having within ourselves a good conscience. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. We've noted more than once that the verb having is stated here as a command as taken from the military lexicon. If we will not have a good conscience where the two great witnesses that stand before God of all the earth, the truth in the in the heart and the Holy Spirit that reveals this truth in the heart, we will not be able to place ourselves into Jesus Christ. And furthermore, we will not be able to be a light to the world so that we can demonstrate to those around us a good life in Jesus Christ. If we will call ourselves Christians in Christ, but they will defame us for our good character and because we do not uh, take what is not our own, then we will be considered evildoers. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Again, sufferings that are not a result of sin, but a result of dedication. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and the and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Fourth component of abiding in Christ, in which God becomes our fortress, is to be determined by having within ourselves elements of eternal glory and clothing yourselves into these elements of glory. Uh, 
But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, 1 Peter 5.10. And so for the sake of the sufferings that you will have, not for because of sin, but as a dedication to him, he will perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. The reason for why there are short sufferings that are allowed by God, where uh, where God allows us to suffer, and the reason for that is to bring us into his perfection in Christ Jesus, to establish us in his word, to make us strong and immovable. The glory of God in which we need to enter is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is open and shown to us, and his virtue is shown to us in his word. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 31, 32. And of course, make you free from sin is what it's referring to. Not looking at the fact that he suffers for a short while, it won't be a result of his sins. To know the truth is only possible upon one condition, that is to pay the price to be a student of Christ which consists of living in the word and live by the word spoken by a person who is a father from God, who is a carrier of the seed of every promise of God that is presented in the living word of God. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 To abide within the word is to live by the word in Hebrew, to live by the word, live according to the word, wait for the fulfillment of his word, remain within the boundaries of the weighted word, look at the word, be obedient to the word, listen to the word, confess the word, trust upon the word, rely upon the word, protect yourselves by these words, cover within his word, sing the words and overcome by his word. And so to know the truth is to enter into the eternal glory of God, which is the chosen by God remnant, which is the church of Christ, that has fellowship with one another in his living word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts by the Lord. And whatever you do in the word or deed, do all in, all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3, 16, 17. If you don't know who, what God has done for you, who you are to God, and if there are songs like this, you need to stop singing them also. If, if they do not have, again, these, if they do not have, if they do not describe who God is for you, what he's done for you, or who you are to God, you shouldn't be singing those songs. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works, your, works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 through 13.
Итак, возлюбленные, пишет апостол Павел Филиппийца, возлюбленные мои, как бы всегда были послушны не только в присутствии моем, но гораздо более ныне во время отсутствия моего, со страхом и трепетом совершайте свое спасение, потому что Бог производит вас и хотение действия по своему благоволению. God prompts a desire within us and acts within us upon the condition when we are obedient to the word of the person who is a father from God to us, not just in his presence, but more when it's not in his presence. If we are obedient to the preached word of the person that is cloaked into a father from God, then we not only, and are not only doing it in his presence, but do it more not that uh, in a place that's not in his presence then we that means that we are within the fortress of god fifth element of abiding in christ where god becomes our fortress we need to identify by the presence in us or the ability in us to know god and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 1 John 5.20 According to the given place of Scripture, the light and understanding that is given to us by, uh, by the Son of God this is the teaching of Christ and the Holy Spirit. This gives us the ability to enter into the for fortress of God so we can get to know God and abide in the true Son, Jesus Christ. To get to know God means to cling to God. I want to remind us that the verb to cling first has a condition uh, as a uniqueness of a relationship between God and man and only afterwards the uniqueness of a relationship between two uh, people that are married. And so here it is, the meanings of this, to seek the favor or consideration of, of the other. You need to seek the consideration or favor of God to draw God to yourself. A person needs to draw God, find ways to, con uh, to draw God to yourself because you study that God's desires, God's will, you'll be able to know how to draw him. Watch, uh, study his desires. Watch the uh, activity or action of the heart. Wait and, in trembling. Be ready to fulfill the will of, to diligently pursue, to chase and run after, to not bend away from the goal. To hold on and hold on to your responsibilities and abide continuously in conversation. We see again a building of a relationship between God and man so that God can then place us into Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ can then be put into us. And build a relationship also with your marriage partner here is included as well. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Deuteronomy 4.4 4. According to the given place of scripture, we see to, that to cling to God by getting to know God is the process of your entire life, where you continuously use 12 uh, components that allows you to continue to be faithful and pure within, within your relationship with God. In result of such a relationship, you will not only remain alive, when there are attacks of death, but also will trample upon death. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, 
Then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Deuteronomy 11, 22-23. And so all these nations that are the old person, the reigning sin within us, all of these sinful uh, weaknesses, uh, desires of the flesh, and so forth, you will dispossess them. The ability to cling to God by getting to know God also has another element that everything that we have belongs to God and everything God has belongs to us. And all mine are... And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. John 17.10 This element becomes legitimate when we honor God with our tithes and our offerings, where we testify that everything that is within our possession belongs to Him, and everything that is within His possession belongs to us. Without a joyful and voluntary fulfillment of the command of tithes and offerings, we will not be able to cling to God, to get to know God, and to walk in all his ways so that we can provide God proper grounds to drive out all the nations from among us that are stronger than us and so that we can then adopt our body by the redemption of Christ. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea shall be your territory. No man shall able be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the lands where where you tread, just as he has said to you. Deuteronomy 11, 22 through 25. If we possess the results of getting to know God, that means we're in Christ and we abide within the fortress of God. <clears throat> Fifth, uh, sixth component of abiding in Christ in which God becomes our fortress is determined by uh, the testimony that's within us that we possess his wisdom, his righteousness, his sanctification, and redemption. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1.30 To examine yourself on the presence of wisdom that is from God, in Jesus Christ, as well as righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, you need to identify these four. Otherwise, how will you examine yourself that you have them if you can't clearly, something you can't clearly identify uh, in yourself? We need to know well that Christ becomes for us uh, wisdom, he becomes for us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption only when we listen and obey the preached word of the person who the Holy Spirit has cloaked into a father from God. Wisdom is identified in scripture as the fear of the Lord that a person is able to be filled with in Jesus Christ and he needs to be filled with upon the condition on this condition upon this condition you can then be a testimony and it'll be a testimony in your spirit. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. 
First, a person needs to be a rod and branch that has an organic connection or genealogy from the root of Jesse. And although the Church of Saints consists of many called, those that are a rod and a branch that are, have an organic genealogy a root of, uh, to the root of Jesse are only the chosen category. <clears throat> so there's ma- uh, many are called, few are chosen. The many that are called, they are marching uh, to hell. They convince themselves that they're going to heaven. And this means that the chosen are born from uh, the preached word and have become the first fruits of his creation. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James 1.18. He has trusted and made his leaders of it. <clears throat> Second, considering that a person abides in Christ, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. To abide in Christ in his resurrection, it is necessary in his death, by the means of baptism of water, spirit, and fire, make a covenant with him, the covenant of <clears throat> blood, salt, and peace, and, and then receive the Holy Spirit in the form of your Lord and Master into your life so that he can then reveal the truth to us that is contained in the covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and covenant of peace. Third, only having the above-listed virtues is a person able to be filled with the fear of the Lord, which is the wisdom of God identified as the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ that comes, that came in the flesh. <coughs> Fourth, as a result of the being of being filled with the fear of the Lord, a person will receive the ability to judge not by the sight of his eyes or the hearing of his ears, will he judge the poor and decide the equity, with equity, the meek of the earth. Wisdom that was received from God in Jesus Christ is called to be demonstrated in your good behavior and wise gentleness, which is pure and that is not uh, pretty much that is pure without envy that is uh, full of good fruits if you have in your heart bitter envy then do not be angry, do not be angry uh, against other. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. James 3, 13 through 17. Now the fruits of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James 3, 18. Righteousness are good works, good deeds that are inspired by the Holy Spirit and are done in God. Their ultimate goal is the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. Sanctification that is in Jesus Christ happens by the means of judgments of righteousness. When a person receives the ability to judge, 
himself in accordance to the demands that are contained in a covenant he has made with God. Sanctification is the readiness or preparedness to present his body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for our reasonable service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Romans 12.1, when you present yourself upon the altar, then you become the acceptable one to God. You separate yourself from the best of the sheep, And do not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 2. And so again, to select you and place you upon this altar, it needs to happen voluntarily. You need to place yourself upon this altar voluntarily. And so only those sheep that separate themselves for a burnt offering are sanctified and so a sanctified is always pure but pure is not always sanctified symbolically a sheep as people that are not sanctified although they're pure a category of the called and they have condemned themselves to destruction because they refuse to sanctify themselves which is a guarantee of our salvation that has turned to profit that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes our personal possession when When an an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. And so again, the price of life. While you live in this body, you sanctify yourself continuously in your thoughts, in your heart, uh, unclean people, unclean thoughts, unclean actions, whatever it may be. Rebellious people also... When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Luke 11:24 through 26. You see this today. It's very evident in the services Uh, that surround us, some of these service when they put their hands upon one another and then they uh, argue with one another, scream at one another, uh, speak uh, all kinds of of very uh, unacceptable things to one another and so forth. And they think, they convince themselves that they're behaving properly and they think that they're going to heaven by doing what they're doing. Redemption becomes our own personal possession exclusively in Jesus Christ because the price of our redemption before God is the uh, sacrificing death of Jesus Christ. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that he might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Redemption is who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. In Hebrew, redemption means purchased uh, from the bondage of sin and death, returned to your original state, restored in your rights. You are God's personal possession, His holiness, joy of God, peace of God, and cloaked into the responsibilities of God. 
Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and, and to open its seals. We will here see who these uh, four living creatures are and the twenty-four elders, for you, are, you were slain and have redeemed us by God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and having made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Revelations 5, 8 through 10. Symbolically here, the chosen by God remnant are these four living creatures and the 24 elders. I want to remind us that everything that we can have in Jesus Christ, including our redemption, can be ours only in one way, and that is by confessing the faith of your heart. Confessing the faith of your heart as the precious promises that are imprinted upon our heart and the status of oath promises of God that we confirm these promises, which gives God proper grounds to then fulfill them in the time that he has appointed. But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by the words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 36, 37. I shall remind you that idle words are words that are confessions of promises that are not grown in the good soil of your heart and that a person has not paid appropriate price for obeying the person uh, that spoke these words, who is a father from God. Seventh component of abiding in Christ, in which God becomes our fortress, is determined by having within yourself signs that we have died for sin and we live for God. Or the presence uh, or testimony that we are freed from the law of sin and death. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be de- dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, 9 through 11. The reason for why we, call, we are called to consider ourselves dead to sin, living for God in Jesus Christ, is that Christ resurrected from the dead and he does not die again. Death no longer has control or power over him. That he died, he died once, but now that he lives, he lives for God. This is only for those, of course, that are in Jesus Christ. If a person is idly speaking or stating that he is in Jesus Christ, but at the same time does not have in himself testimony that he died for sin, lives for God, then he deceives himself. A person that abides in Jesus Christ will be freed from the dependence of reigning sin within his body as he has access to righteousness that is in Jesus Christ and the old person will be bound and be put into a prison as it is written. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew 18, 18. The meaning of this uh, place of scripture is that the earth demonstrates the will of the heavens, not the heavens that demonstrate the will of the earth. Therefore, the version of the given place of scripture can be understood like this. Assuredly, I say to that you will bind on earth that until that time will already be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will already by that time had been loosed in heaven. And so the phrase bound on earth or loosed in on uh, or bound in heaven loosed in heaven is bound in Christ or loosed in Christ you can't bind the old person 
in your body out of Christ or independent from Christ. Any authority that is given to us on earth is given to us in Jesus Christ. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when he, we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so to give God proper grounds to resurrect us in Christ and seat us in heaven, we need to first, with Christ and in Christ, die for your nation, the house of your father, and for your destructive desires of the soul. It is necessary for us to understand that the resurrection that is in Christ Jesus is called to use the saving grace that is possible if we have experienced with him death where we die by the law for the law so we can live for the one that died and resurrected who died for our sins and resurrected for our justification there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death and so we having in ourselves the deadness of for sin if we don't have this deadness to sin we will not have then or be placed into Christ Jesus amen let us bend our knees and pray and we will thank God for that great and precious word that we have heard today and may the Lord conceal these in our heart or write them in our heart and confirm them in our hearts forever and ever and also may the Lord find his rest in our heart and we will rest in him amen let us pray heavenly father in the name of Jesus Christ I thank you that we have the privilege to again and again together with your people amongst which you are that is your glory the place where you demonstrate the greatness of your wisdom your righteousness your redemption I thank you for this honor and for this privilege I thank you for being your bride this is a chosen by God remnant that today is I thank you that you have made us worthy to come to this place to listen to your words and to have fellowship with one another and to receive peace in one the other to be considerate of one another love one another respect the sovereign rights of one the other and value one another and be in awe of one another because each one of us has within us a specific part of your godliness and how it is within us 
we, you, each one of us has this gift and is able to use it in service for one another, in our fellowship with one another. Thank you that I could see this with my eyes, hear it with my ears. I see how you grow, the chosen by God remnant. I see this glory that is above the earth. I see the fear and trembling of hell and I see the angelic songs and the joy of heaven I thank you that you have made us partakers and witnesses of this great work may your mercy be glorified in your nation and through your people may all the strongholds be destroyed that are before your face and may you step upon your enemy May all illnesses in your nation be cursed. May in their bodies these illnesses be cursed. And may your healing come. And may your healing rise in your race. We thank you for this healing. We thank you that we are carriers of the heavenly body. We thank you for this surprising and precious promise that you have revealed to us your salvation in the house of David, the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. Thank you, and your glory will not diminish. It is just getting stronger. I worship together with your nation, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.